and welcome to Caskheads, a podcast for whiskey about whiskey. I'm your host Jordan, and with me is my brother Luke. You gonna say hello? I'm not here. They don't know that. They don't know if I'm here or not. <laughs> the ghost of Christmas Luke. Wait, As we, the ghost of Luke passed, <laughs> and we're continuing our meandering journey through the world of whiskey. Star wipe transition. <laughs> yeah, we've got to find a way to do like a, an audio star wipe. Can we I do- think it's gonna be like. Wait, wait, everyone close their eyes and envision this. Did you picture it? Imagine the prequel Star Wars. <laughs> Very true. That's what I'm picturing. Star White. Screen wipe. Dissolve. Ah, oh, those films gave us so much. I still can't sit through them. <laughs> I, wish. I was thinking about them the other day. I was like, we don't own them. I wish I could sit I keep through them. moments and watch them. where I'm like, I think we should own them. I keep having moments where I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're good because the problem is I love Padme and I love the Clone Wars animated series. I was thinking I really need to watch that. And so, yeah, with that little divergence out of the way, welcome to part two of our two part adventure into the history of whiskey crime. Rogue One. Rogue Two. I'm still waiting for it. Back to Star Wars. (laughs) Yeah, I don't actually remember what we talked about last time. I do remember I did put in quite a lot of cask heads, cask whisperer lore. Yep. I don't know if you edited it out. Nope. So where we left off, the cask whisperer. Oh my god, that actually was a cliffhanger, well, wasn't there? Well, if you remember how the cliffhanger resolves, then tough luck. Didn't, he, tough ha- didn't he have, like, a secret baby cask or something? Who knows? Oh. That's on you. You know, it's one of those ones where you watch the next episode and it doesn't actually get answered and you're like, wait, did they did they just drop that plot line? Or... We couldn't afford the explosion budget. Ah, uh, we never can. So we looked, uh, last time we discussed some of the ways people were using less legitimate, uh, sorry, we were, we discussed some of the ways people of a less legitimate nature would acquire, distill, um, or even transport their ill-gotten whiskey gains. In today's episode, we're going to look at some of the other ways people have tried to maximise their profits without having to get bogged down in details such as tax and licensing. So we covered things like smuggling whiskey in coffins, stealing from barrels, and dodgy rectifiers, who, if you remember, were basically poisoning people yeah what i like is um when you put in the words if who if you remember were basically making poison autocorrect wants to make it we're basically making poison they won't accept were (laughs) it's not grammatically incorrect no i know it just it it wants you to say we're basically making poison auto uh autocorrect knows it knows you're like there's doing some poison under the desk. <laughs> there are plenty of examples of why the rules are in place today uh, to protect both the consumer and producers and ultimately protecting the legacy of whiskey as we know it. I know we will skip over some uh, and miss others altogether, but th- that's because there are just so many. I mean, there, there are. It's, it's a long, long history of people kind of breaking the law, getting around the law, exploiting the law. More enforcing than three the law. and less than 80 billion. We don't know. That's that. a fact. What if it was just two? Uh, One of the big ones we didn't actually cover last time, uh, and it's actually rather a low-tech yet effective approach. Um, After the 1823 Spirits Act, uh, which I know we've talked about, it uh, made it compulsory for licensed distilleries to have an excise officer on site. They would basically oversee the production of alcohol and make sure there was ultimately no loss of revenue. Uh, Workers in the distillery found many ingenious ways to get past uh, these ever-watchful officers. Um, I've I've read about all sorts. Uh, There was one where they went on like a a roof um, and like pried open a skylight and then they'd like access the the barrels uh, from like the roof and then like put the skylight back down at which point do they cut a perfect circle in some glass 
pull the glass away, take everything, leave through that circle, and then put the glass back. Oh, and then like Tom Cruise it down on the um on like, yeah. the zip wire. Yeah, yeah. Like all those like lasers and like they they release a spray and you see all these red moving lasers that they got to move yeah, around. Yeah, and it's like and pressure it's like sensitive floors and things. Well, backflips and then someone just walks through them. It's like, oh yeah, I deactivated them hours ago. You don't think we actually have the budget for that? We just have them for decoration. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically, uh, one of the very popular ways was to um, actually they they get a bottle uh, and they tie it on a length of string, which were, they would then um, send down the trouser leg. Oh, I was picturing like the classic coin thing. You know, you put it in a, a, a parking meter. You put the bottle in the parking meter and you pull it back before it can. But like you give the bottle to the rectifier and you pull it back. When they... <laughs> I thought you were going to say like they had these um, almost like uh, whiskey bottle vending machines and they were putting the bottle in, filling it up and then pulling yeah, it out maybe. kind of thing. Maybe. Whiskey bottle vending machines. That could be the future. No, that shouldn't be the future. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the little screw thing if the bottle drops and breaks. Oh, imagine if it doesn't come out there and you're shaking like, ah, I need my whiskey. I, I think the technology's not quite there yet. I, th- I think we need to work on it a little bit more. No one's ever as undignified as they are when they're shaking a vending machine, you know? Like, if that Maltesers packet doesn't drop, everyone experiences, like, the most base level of... Undignified. I can think of a worse case scenario than that. When someone's even more undignified than that. Oh, when it's back a row and you have to put it in twice anyway? No. It's nothing to do with vending machines. <sighs> then there's nothing. It's wearing a matching uh, pocket square and tie combo where the pattern is exactly the same. You should have one that accentuates or... Accentuates? Accentuates. <laughs> one that complements the tie. You shouldn't be having that matching combo too much. I find it's far too much. I cannot believe you just tried to lecture me on fashion and also got it wrong. <laughs> Firstly, the pocket square and the tie should match. However, if the belt is clashing, don't even go outside. Pocket square tie socks, all the same. And it better be the double width. I don't like people that do half width. I get really judgy about tie knots. Whenever I go to weddings and stuff, I'm like, you really thought that was acceptable? Yeah, what they do is they tie the bottle to a piece of string, um, kind of send it down the length of the trouser leg so you couldn't see it. Um, and then when they were... When they were alone, unobserved, they'd kind of like lower this bottle on the string into the cast, fill it up, and then put it back down the trouser leg so no one knew that they were walking around with a bottle of uh, whiskey. I mean, one thing that is worth noting with this is, um, and with many of the techniques over the years, um, it wasn't just the distillery workers that made use of this. Um, There were certainly many of the excise agents who were also just as likely to employ this kind of method in their own research of the product, let's say. One of the big problems facing excise agents, actually, was um, that for obvious reasons, they were very much despised by most people in the community. Uh, Injuries and fatalities were common, to say the least, and it wasn't—it certainly wasn't a glamorous job. They did not have an assistant. Actually, they would have assistants. Yeah, but it wasn't like a a panache. It wasn't like sawing someone in half. It wasn't like a go in this box and disappear. Actually, they they weren't paid a great deal as well. They were often rewarded uh, on top of their pay for confiscating equipment and other such items. So it kind of like a a motivational kind of... Any kind of equipment, like a stethoscope? Maybe. (laughs) It's like, I need the stethoscope. Why? I'm confiscating it. The law requires... (laughs) Show with like a Ferrari. I confiscated this. Uh, I don't think you know what your job is. <laughs> and and why is a Ferrari in the horse and car times? <laughs> you know. Oh my God! It's a metal dragon. <laughs> <laughs> they confiscated a time machine beforehand. Oh. Obviously. Maybe that's how they got that one really large figure. 
Remember last year? Uh, last year, last episode. Remember about yeah, that like one 14, year? Yeah, like um, Maybe they had a time machine. They just kept going back and getting the same stills. Maybe. Yeah, they, they weren't paid a great deal, um, and a way to motivate them was kind of this um, proof of success rewards scheme. I, I remember that uh, one of the most successful excise men in history also ended up having to forge reports to make a living and was ultimately hanged for his crime. Um, because he was having to bribe people to uh, get the kind of leads that he needed, because obviously um, most people didn't want to just rat out their neighbour who was making tasty illegal whiskey. And so he had to pay his own bribes, he had to pay his own expenses, he had to pay like bodyguards if he wanted them and stuff. Man, um, that's messed up. And ultimately, yeah, he uh, although he, he made some very large kind of like busts in, in the, not like um, like historical figure busts. Oh, I was picturing like, like Archimedes 1960s or something. detective. Yeah, and Archimedes is famous for. Um, wasn't he the guy who? Um, he was a really stinky man who needed a bath, and he had his gold bullion with him, as all rich people do, um, because they have to wash their money because it needs to be laundered. And he got um, he got gold he got gold uh, flakes on his on his uh, on his junk when he was cleaning up, and he found out that he was. Um, Turned to fossilized granite, and that's why he's a statue everywhere now. All statues of Archimedes are Archimedes oh, simultaneously. Yeah. yeah, it's horrifying. By the way, when you accidentally leave like some money in your pocket and it goes through the washing machine and you <laughs> find it later, you're like, "Oh no, I'm a criminal!" I had my, I turned myself into the police every every like Wednesday, just like <laughs> no, no, no. Hello, I laundered money. Yeah, he was ultimately hanged for his crime. Um, I mean, to be fair. He wasn't a very nice man. <laughs> oh, okay. No regrets, then. Um, one of my favourite examples of getting around an excise man is one, also one of the uh, more popular ones. It was made and subsequently remade into a film. Whiskey Galore. How did you know? Because, honestly, that was a wild guess, and it's the only film I know. That's like, is that the one with the ship off of Scotland or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you telling me about it, and I was like, I'm Have not going to watch it. you ever actually watched it? No, 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 because you were like, you'd like it, and I was like, no, nah, I'm not watching it. You I would might, actually like it, though. I might accidentally learn something, and then where will we be? So you're correct. It was made into the film Whiskey Galore. Yep. Uh, which you have not watched, despite me pleading to you many times, do you? Yeah, but, like, I've pled to you about many things as well. Uh, yeah, it was made into the film Whiskey Glore. Uh, the film is fairly accurate, however, it also takes liberties in several places. And as the saying goes, uh, truth shouldn't... Uh, sh- sorry, truth should never get in the way of a good story. Also, as the saying goes, Hollywood don't play cards. They do, though. Maverick. I love Maverick. Maverick is a good <laughs> film. There's whiskey in that. There is definitely a scene in Maverick. There's got whiskey in Maverick. Where yeah. there's whiskey. I've watched a whiskey film. That's not a whiskey film. It's as close as I'm going to get. We keep the money in the boot. My old pappy used to My say. My old pappy. I love... Maverick is so good. It is. Uh, yeah, however... <laughs> I have to think where I am sometimes because we get so di- sidetracked sometimes. Whiskey galore. However, uh, there is actually a wonderful book named Scotch on the Rocks, uh, and this lays out the full story. Yes. Hey, that's next to me. The true story behind whiskey galore. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming the cast whisperer isn't mentioned because I didn't get royalties. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, uh, I've read that book a couple of times and I don't think the Cask Whisperer gets brought up once. I'll add some cliff notes so Please it's don't. more historically accurate. Then you can... Uh... Get your own copy and then do that, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Just, like, blacking out pages and pages Redacted. of text. It's like, and then the Cask Whisperer did this. 
Um, yeah, and it tells the full story of how the SS politician came to grief on the rocks off the island, and how the islanders liberated the contents of the hold before it could be lost to sea. Um, now, it's worth mentioning the contents uh, were, of course, nearly a quarter of a million bottles of scotch. A quarter of a million? Yeah, about a quarter of a million bottles of scotch whiskey. I didn't even know there was that many whiskeys back then. Uh, I mean, not in individual like brands. They were cases and cases of whiskey. See, it was being sent over seas. Um, and, uh, yeah, reportedly the value was around about £90 million today. Kind of worth of money. Oh, like with inflation? Yeah. That's, okay. it, it would have been worth about £90 million today. Yeah, the problem was Revenue and Customs felt they should destroy the liquid because no duty had yet been paid. And the islanders who had a long history of salvaging off the sea kind of took it upon themselves to find ways to avoid doing just this. Uh, I'm not actually going to spoil the story for anyone who hasn't watched the film or wants to read the book, but I really do recommend taking the time to do so. Especially in the middle of, say, uh, a pandemic or if, particularly if you are in a national lockdown like this and you frequently complain that the days blend into one and there's just nothing to do <laughs> i have nothing to add here i have to read that cat book you still haven't read the amazing morris and his uh, educated rodents i know because i have to read the grisha chronicles first well then you could give me back the amazing morris no because i'm really rodents. attached to it because i can't stand the thought of a cat book not being with me <laughs> He's going into bookshops and stealing all the copies. I can't stand the thought of these not being used. <laughs> I, I'm the one with the cat. She's I a... I give out copies to people. <laughs> She's my you look, cat. You look like you don't have a cat in your life. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard the good news? <laughs> Imagine just like absolutely roasting someone by like, you look like you don't have a cat in your life. <laughs> bye bye now. <laughs> it's like, oh no, it got real deep. The final example I wanted to talk about, and it's not actually a tale of illegal distilling or, or smuggling in any way, actually. It kind of breaks the mould a little bit on this pan. It's about one business that managed to deal a major blow to the whiskey industry. Um, so much so that the crash... Um, the crash in the market is actually named after them. Uh, back in the Victorian times, the industry was going through a spectacular boom. Things were doing really, really well. Wow, that's rare, because literally nothing else was in the Victorian times. I mean, you had industry. Uh, yeah, which severely crippled everyone. Yeah, but like monetary for the rich. Basically, the industry was going through a spectacular boom. Not only was it the age of innovation uh, in many ways, uh, but whiskey had also now become the gentleman's drink of choice, having overtaken brandy. I was seeing if I could bring this back to, like, a literature author. I'll let it slide. You see, also, you got to remember the British Empire was doing very, very well. It was uh, all over the world kind of thing. Well... No, I mean, it was doing well for itself. It wasn't doing well in the grand scheme of things oh, for okay, other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whiskey was being drunk all around the world. Uh, all around the world? Well, yeah, because it was officers' clubs all around the world. I mean, the, the sun did not set on the empire, remember. Um, is that a phrase? Say? Yeah. Oh. It's like, there's literally maps, like old old maps of the world that they had in schools where it was just like all red, where the empire basically had territories and stuff like that. And anywhere in the world, there was like, the sun never set on the empire kind of thing was the saying. Uh, the sun did set on the empire, by the way, when it spectacularly failed. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I'm aware we don't have the British <laughs> Empire anymore, which is a good thing. Basically what happened uh, was, I mean... A lot of, uh, of people were kind of making money in, in the industry at the time, but the Patterson brothers, um, they started blending and marketing their own whiskey in 1897 and were one of the companies to make a lot of money off this boom. Now, one of the greatest strengths that the Pattersons had was in advertising, so much so that they reportedly trained 500 parrots to repeat phrases like, buy Patterson's whiskey, um, and then they gave them to pubs all over the country. And that was, as I've decided, the very first pop-up ad was born. 
That is literally the best advertising. I know, right? And that would be the only advertising that would work on millennials. I mean, could you imagine just walking into a place and, like, this parrot just says, like, buy... Patterson's whiskey? Well, no. No, I'm trying to think of a millennial equivalent today. It'd be oh, like, buy avocados. <laughs> buy avocado toast. <laughs> even the, the, Two for one on cat memes. Oh, no. Don't put us in a disturbing future where we have to pay for memes. <laughs> oh, someone's going to profit off memes. Yeah, but then, then that would be the meme. <laughs> just imagine, like, <laughs> millennials training these parrots for every time an old person walks in and it just goes like, okay, okay boomer. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> but not of a scale. <laughs> just think, this parrot with a cloak on doing the dark Kermit meme. <laughs> what with mittens? <laughs> but, like, obviously, it still has to fly somewhere to, like, just attach some mittens with, like, fake hands just on the chest. Oh, so, like, oh. as it was flapping, you just saw these mittens go like. Like, with little dogs when they have the dog costumes yeah. and they got the little arms sticking out. The brothers are often described as being flamboyant and extravagant. Uh, and ultimately, it turned out they were simply at the top um, of a very fragile house of cards. These might be my new favourite people in history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they uh, they greatly overvalued their own assets and brought back stock. They kind of bought back stock that they'd sold at a higher value, creating this false impression of, of how well the business was doing. Unfortunately, whilst this was viable for them during the boom, uh, when sales slowed, the entire company fell very swiftly. Mm, yeah, it would do, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it fell swiftly and spectacularly, uh, with around £500,000 unaccounted for um, when their stock value plum- plummeted by about 50, 55%. That is a lot back then. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, what you have is, and, and this isn't the only whiskey crash. Things have happened over the years. Like I say, the 80s is a very big one. Um, but the Patterson crash that happened, you had this kind of buildup of stock because obviously everyone's buying whiskey, so you need to mature more whiskey for the future when people want to buy more whiskey. <laughs> However, when everything crashes, you have an absolute load of stock that's not worth anything anymore. So you have to start reducing prices to try and sell it all. I understand economics <laughs> yeah, with whiskey with the delay of how it works that's what i'm saying it's so much worse because you have like this this build-up period for maturation as well and and so yeah this crash happened and uh, not only did the patterson's business fail and rightly so um, uh, but they also caused nine other businesses to directly fail because of them uh, they also um i know they had shares in glen farkless distillery and Glen Farkless Distillery reportedly very nearly went under, and they're a great family-owned distillery that wouldn't have been around today, or, or certainly wouldn't probably still, wouldn't still be in the family if it was. Um, and since then, Glen Farkless had to adapt and no longer rely on such kind of like outside sources, uh, and they've thrived since. But we very nearly lost uh, at least that distillery. They also had money in Oban. It, I could be wrong here. It could be in Altmore. I want to say what I'm saying is they they had a lot of a knock-on effect towards this the the, uh, the, the industry as a whole. And that's why it's called a Patterson crash, because uh, their fraudulent activity, uh, ultimately, um, although they they didn't cause it themselves, there were other people involved, but they were certainly uh, some of the biggest people on on their own side of this. And their fraudulent business practice is what they will be remembered for. I mean, I'm going to personally remember for them for the parrots. (laughs) Yeah, apparently one of their other marketing techniques was to, like, when they had business meetings in the city, they deliberately arrived late for the train or something, making sure that reporters were there so they could hire a private train to take them to a business meeting and stuff like that. They were just, like, throwing money every... They had a huge marketing budget. Oh, my gosh. I love it. You know what? If you're going to do something, you might as well do it with panache so 
five facts. Yeah, I know you put that in in case you accidentally forgot to just destroy. Oh, sorry, I should memory. actually say first of all, any questions? Do you have any questions? Uh, nope. And I, I can't believe I haven't even come up with Cast Whisperer. I was going to say, you've been very, very low on the Cast Whisperer. Nothing's been screaming at me, you know? It's mainly because I can't remember the own cliffhanger I left, uh, which will be released on my special Cask Whisperer episode. Look for that Patreon thing, <laughs> folks, that we'll totally get around to doing. Okay, five facts. Um, uh, Rectify was hanged? No. What? An excise agent was hanged uh... for... Um, Forgeries. Okay. An excise agent was hanged for forgeries. Um, Rectifiers were last week. Last uh, I don't think I've been here this episode. I think you have. <clears throat> oh, no, I don't think we can prove it. There's no audio recording at all that can prove it. No, there's absolutely no way that we could kind of like look back on it. Um, honestly, I got really attracted with the Patterson brothers and their parrots. Well, there you go. You have another fact right there. Okay, yeah. Um... The Victorian time was a massive boon for whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, what are they called? Not rectifiers? Excise agents? Excise agents got paid really badly. Really poorly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like they were... It wasn't like poverty, but it wasn't a great pay. Um, and they had to supplement it with their kind of like incentives by turning in equipment and things. And final, finally, whiskey on a string to make the car park <laughs> mechanism work. Well, there's something there. <laughs> now, um, tasting antiquary top, which yes. I saw, and I was like, oh, maybe that's one we're tasting, but that bottle is fresh as. See, that's the thing. Like, I'm thinking... How how do we create a great kind of um, whiskey to go along with this episode? And we've talked about blenders, so I thought, well, we've got to do a blend of some sorts. Antiquary 12 has that old-timey kind of feel to it. It does. It looks like it belongs... History in a bottle. It looks like it belongs on... Uh, great Gatsby? Uh, uh, yeah. I was going to say Gatsby. Um, mainly because I usually do. It Also, this is a bottle that I picture the Patterson Brothers would be. If they were a bottle. If they were a bottle, it would be this. Uh, Antiquary 12 is actually nothing to do with Patterson Brothers. <laughs> it's actually done by the Tomatin Distillery. It's, well, yeah, it's one of their it's blends. dramatic. It is dramatic. Uh, it has flair. It has flair. It's flamboyant. And what other word did you use to describe Extravagant. It? Extravagant. Yeah, it really belongs on uh, Gatsby then. Antiquary 12 is a blend. And whereas with single malts, I can tell you a lot about what goes into it. I actually can't tell you about what goes into Antiquary 12 because I don't know. It's a secret. Keep it secret. Keep I can tell you this much. It probably has some tomatin single malt in there, but they will also use other single malts. They will also use grain whiskies. And the nature of blends is very, very secretive by by its nature, as we've said before. There is literally no ingredients on this. Yeah, you, well, it's got whiskey in it. Right, but like, what about people with yeah. allergies? Um, well, it's the same with any whiskey bottle. Imagine discovering you're allergic to a tree. It's called hay fever. <laughs> oh, yeah, you do have hay fever. <laughs> Does this ever affect you? Is that no. weird? I don't know how it works. No, I'm not good. It's you. It's you. I just Achoo. know at some point Flatworth <laughs> decided to fight you. So yeah, on the nose, it's it's quite light. I mean, you definitely get that grain whiskey coming in. But I mean, I've had a few blends over the years, and a twelve year old blend, it shouldn't be associated with the really young blends that kind of give blends a bad name. It's got a lovely bit of there's a bit of sweetness. There's definitely vanilla on the nose, and and there's that light kind of grainy aspect. It's quite a little floral as well. Oh, careful. 
Oh yeah, who at you? I wish that was how you sneeze instead of like the world-shattering noise you give out when you sneeze. I want the world to know. They're gonna hear me roar, okay? <laughs> oh, uh, uh, oh. Wow. <laughs> wow. There's a lovely bit of fruitiness to it as well. And I really do like, I, I'm sure I've said this before, I really do like antiquary and like the summer and things because it's a nice light whiskey. It's, it's, um, it's not too challenging, it's got a great balance to it. And <laughs> I gave it a math test and it couldn't pass. I mean, tasting it's got this lovely, although it's not got the thick, the thick kind of body of a, a single malt, it has still got a lovely body presence to it, don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> body shaming whiskies. <laughs> it's got a realistic body image, you know. It's it's not like one of them model whiskies. Imagine someone like having some whiskey, be like, "Damn, that whiskey is thick." <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, there's a lovely sweetness to it, definitely, in the taste. A little bit of spice at the back, but it's very subtle in comparison. Nice kind of round fruitiness, and like I say, it's, it is. It's just a lovely all-round uh, drink that you don't have to think too much about. And then we cut back to the scene. The <gasps> cask whisperer is stood in the doorway. A gunshot has just gone off. And then the quarter cask is under his arm, silhouetted against the light coming in. And I'll have a follow-up. It's your story. Oh, I was really messed up. I don't understand why you don't like cask Every time you, like, cask whisper, sorry. Every time you do it, I'm just, like, really invested it's in it. because I'm, I'm actually a storyteller. Well, this has been cask Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe on whichever podcasting platform you use. It really does help us, and more importantly, may lead others to listening in and discovering this show. You can also visit our website or send us an email if you have any questions. The links are within the description below. <laughs> I'd also like to thank Adrian and Alison Murray of the Weed Jam Whiskey Shop in Bakewell. Um, they're great people and have a lot of knowledge, and the shop has a great range of whiskies. Uh, you can visit their website, which is weedram.co.uk, and find out more. And as always, we'll leave you with this uno editing goof. And as always, we'll leave you with this one editing goof and as always we'll leave you with this eins editing goof wow someone's been using duolingo <laughs> as always we'll leave you with this itchy itchy yeah I was gonna say itchy editing goof I don't know the French for one un as always we'll leave you with this un how did you not know that un editing de toi un um, de toi because I was I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking of one, not one, two, three. I'll send you my bill. Duck bill. Platypus. Semi-aquatic. Wiggling mammal of action. Banana nana. <laughs> He's a furry little flatfoot who never flinches from a flame. He's got more than the just mad skills. He's got a beaver tail and a bill. <laughs> and the women swoon whenever they hear him say. Go for it. And I cannot do a platypus noise. What is this like? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a completely different spin on it. <laughs>